We start by trying to make sense of what happened between the Chargers and the Raiders. A little bit on Tennessee as your one seed in the AFC and Jonathan Vilma on all of that, including breaking news this morning. Brian Flores out is the Miami hit coach and Vilma's pick for the national championship rematch, Bama and Georgia. We'll do a little on Clay's return and a really long life advice that I don't think helps anyone. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Let's start with the open after the last regular season week for the NFL, trying to figure out what happened last night in Vegas, um, which is usually not related to football. um, But in this case, absolutely, with the Chargers and Raiders going to overtime and the Raiders walking off with the field goal. So leading up, as we all know, there was a lot of talk about the tie part of this, where there's a scenario where if the Chargers and Raiders tied, they would both be in the playoffs. So why not go ahead and do that? Uh, the Colts getting stomped as 16.5-point favorites against Jacksonville. Pittsburgh taking care of their end of things with Roethlisberger beating Baltimore. So there was like all these things. And we're like, hey, do you realize this could happen? And now we're sitting there you know, throughout the closing moments of earlier Sunday games going, okay, would the Chargers and Raiders actually do this? And there are people that believe that they could or that they should um, because it makes sense. Hey, well, if we just tie, we're both going to be in it. First of all, let's just go. Let's just get this out of the way. Do you know how fucking impossible that would be? Do you know how hard that would be before kickoff to decide to play for the tie? Now, you could sit there and say maybe if it was a Jeff Fisher, Jack Del Rio matchup where they'd be going, hey, if this is close towards the end, you know, one of us just want to take a knee. All right, I got your word on that because there's some kind of relationship like maybe, right? Maybe that would happen. But to kick the game off and think you'd be able to kind of have a sequence of series and decisions hoping to land on a tie would be impossible. You would, like last night, have a better chance of tying by not trying to do it. And the Raiders get up late and you're thinking, all right, this isn't going to be an issue. They're up, what are we talking, uh, 29-22. Then Herbert, who's unbelievable, starts putting on a show the last few minutes of the fourth quarter. They get this thing tied up. It's 32, excuse me, it's 29 apiece. And we're headed to overtime. Uh, Both teams exchange field goals. Chargers kick off to the Raiders. About four and a half minutes left to go in overtime. So Raiders starting and throwing 25. Now they have to move the football here, right? They have to move the football because clearly they're not only maybe possibly trying to still win this game, but they don't want to give the ball back to the Chargers. And they do move the football. Um, They get a pass to Edwards for 17 yards. Jacobs up the middle for another seven yards. Uh, There's a third and eight. The Zay Jones pass. What a throw by Carr, who probably deserves more credit than he's given. Um, And now we're at the two-minute warning, and it's a first and 10 at the Chargers 45. So now, with the timeout situation with the Chargers, which normally in this case, it'd be calling timeouts or they they wouldn't be brooding. There's no other version of this where you'd be the team without the football going, 
not only do we not want the ball back, we also want the clock to run out. So that was something for all of us to kind of take a leap of faith on, understanding that the strategy for this would be entirely different. So first and 10, Jacobs stuffed. Second and 11, Jacobs left tackle for seven yards. And and that in that moment, Jacobs is tackled at 114 left. No timeout is called. It's going to be third and four. We're running into about four or five seconds left on the play clock. And Brandon Staley and the Chargers call a timeout with 38 seconds left. Now, on the broadcast, and I'll admit, too, I didn't quite know what was going on because, again, these are different circumstances. And to think in that moment, you knew everything that was happening, what the Raiders were thinking, what the Chargers were thinking, what Staley was thinking, what the OC was thinking. For all of us to assume that at home on the couch is probably a big mistake. And it kind of gets back to my big point that I brought up numerous times that in the moment is probably when we're at our worst and we usually need to sleep on things a little bit more. And I know last night I was confused and I said, hey, I went back and watched the timeout over and over again. Like clearly they weren't, were they trying to stop the clock or was it if they were trying to stop the clock, why are you not calling the timeout when Jacobs is tackled? And it's like, well, okay, we started to learn more a little bit later on, which we will get to. So at that moment, it's third and four. The timeout is called. We're underneath the play clock. What happened when they lined up in third and four? Well, they were lined up in shotgun, so they weren't taking a knee. So let's let's all be on the same page here because there's still a little gray area with some of this stuff. But for the most part, it got it got pretty buttoned up once we heard from Staley and Bisaccia, uh, the Raiders head coach, and Carr on top of that. All right, so. It's third and four, and they were lined up in shotgun. And Mitchell Schwartz, who was really good on this stuff, and to the point where I was I was kind of just making sure I knew what I was doing, I talked to him last night, former tackle for the Chiefs, and then his, his observation has been picked up and that Colton Miller, the left tackle for the Raiders, he was saying stance alone, like they were going to run a play and they were probably going to hand it off again. Now, Staley calls the timeout, and Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are like, wait a minute, all right? And they lost it, and I think that was kind of the, the lighter fluid on everyone's reaction last night whereas once Jacobs is tackled if they don't call the timeout we're underneath the play clock that the Raiders are just going to go ahead and take a knee but if they were lined up in shotgun before Staley called the timeout almost anyone who's really into football will tell you that was not the case you're not taking a knee there all right look all that stuff up if you don't believe me look at the people that actually played and have covered football much longer than I have you're not taking a knee in that place so at that point Staley's calling the timeout with one simple goal to stop them on third and four, hoping that if they stop them, then they have a decision on fourth down at a 57-yard field goal, which the conversion rate is under 50%, where when they ended up kicking the field goal from 47, I think the conversion rate there is like 70-something percent, right? It's a big, big gap, and I don't know if the Raiders are actually going to go ahead and kick the field goal, but remember, the reason I was confused on the timeout was like, well, this doesn't really make any sense because if they'd wanted the ball back, they would have called it at 114. The Chargers didn't even want the ball back necessarily. They wanted to force the Raiders into a decision that either wasn't a field goal or a different third down look, right? And again, you can sit there and say, well, the Chargers are going to get it back with a punt or whatever. It wasn't to get the ball back in a punt and then be like, all right, let's start spreading out five wide and see if we can push the ball off the field here in a matter of seconds. Not likely. So... Then on the timeout, there was another part where Linville Joseph comes onto the field for Murray, the linebacker, because they wanted to go bigger personnel. So the Raiders apparently see that, and then they decide to line up in a different formation. And Jacobs, which is lost in all of this on third and four, puts together a great run for 10 yards and gets it to the Chargers 29. They run the clock down to a couple seconds, kick a 47-yard field goal, and now the Raiders are not playing the Chiefs. They're playing Cincinnati. So... (laughs) In the moment, Staley, it was called like a fireable offense, which, again, I think Michaels and Collinsworth have some 
uh, blood on their hands for that one. Watching it all play out, it's like, what is he doing? What is he doing? But at that point, we don't know anything. Staley doesn't know anything. We don't know if the Raiders are actually going to take a knee. We don't know that. I know David Carr, when asked by Michelle Tafoya after the game, said, hey, how did that factor in? And he said, oh, it definitely did. It definitely did. If you really break down the full answer, Carr's answer is basically a throwaway answer. It's him being like, oh, you know, you mentioned that. Okay, because look, I've done this for a living. I know when guys answer stuff almost to be polite and carrying off the transition from my question into their answer, because it's just as Carr said, yeah, well, it definitely play into the, you know, factor into our decision making there when the Chargers decided to go ahead and call that timeout in third and four. So now we have to run a play. People that thought the Chargers were the dumbest people ever, the people that thought that the Chargers and Staley were so stupid, which I think there's some motivation to hope that they're stupid because there's so many people that were annoyed with Staley and the analytics and some of the other decisions that they had had earlier in the game are like this fucking guy. Oh, now he's got, oh, you know, genius over here is calling a timeout now and the Raiders were going to take a knee. Again, we don't know that the Raiders are going to take a knee. We don't, Staley doesn't know if the Raiders are going to take a knee. And even though Carr said it factored in, he then completely contradicts himself in the same quote by saying, well, yeah, but we still wanted to go ahead and win this football game, which definitely made sense because the Raiders would be motivated to win the football game again. So they didn't have to play the Chiefs. And yes, I know that Cincinnati exactly like that wasn't a great matchup, but let's let's just all be honest with each other here. Everybody would rather play Cincinnati than the Chiefs in a playoff game. Okay. All right. So that part of it. Now, there was also another element where it's like, wait a minute, if you were all about wanting to play the Chiefs, then why were you running certain plays the way you were running plays? Um, you know, I don't know how believable all that stuff is. Basaccia, the head coach of the Raiders, was asked about it, said, hey, we were talking about it. We were talking about it. Definitely. He didn't say anything in his quotes that I saw from his presser that made it definitive. Because there was even a part of me last night that's thinking, okay, let's never underestimate just wanting to win a football game, right? Let's not underestimate the part where it's a bunch of guys in a roster that bought into the interim head coach for an organization that's gone through a ton of stuff this season that maybe they just wanted to go ahead and win this thing. So if you're watching last night still thinking, and I think motivated a little bit by the broadcast reaction of the Staley timeout, that, oh my gosh, the Chargers just cost themselves a chance at a tie and then to go into the playoffs because the coach is, a, is you know, I don't know, fucking young Sheldon over there, um, that that's not really what it was. And there's always this 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 Occam's razor thing, which, again, was hilarious when Brian Windhorst brought up the concept of Occam's razor on Mike and Mike, and everybody's like, what the hell are you talking about? But here it is, and it works all the time. The simplest answer is probably the right answer. If you go back and listen to Staley's comments, Again, not in the moment. Now that we have all of the information, we've seen all the different stuff flying around. But like, why would Staley call a timeout? And he explained it really simply. At that point, we think they're still trying to run the ball. All right. We didn't like our run defense. I wanted to change our run defense to stop them and then give them a decision to have to make a really hard field goal. All right. Or then just decide to take the knee because they were under the play clock. And that's really, I think, all it comes down to. And in the moment, it was kind of hard to figure that out. And if you figured it out, all the credit to you. But you can't have Staley, you can't criticize Staley for him not knowing what the Raiders were doing when the Raiders were kind of just discussing it all. And the car quote, even though it felt like the smoking gun, and I thought it was when I saw just the clip until I was like, you know, let me go see the whole thing. And then I saw the whole thing and I go... Hey, look, I think the Raiders, to sit there at third and four, 
in their formation, based on what Mitchell Schwartz said about the left tackle, about how they changed the formation when they saw the personnel change, that they're probably still going to run a play there. Um, it, it just felt like after sleeping on it and seeing everything that w- was going on around it, once we were able to put it all together, it's a mistake. But it was a mistake based on the fact that they didn't stop a running back. You know, if they stuff Jacobs and they run the clock, this game's over. And they're both in the playoffs, and we're never talking about that timeout. So Vegas is in, and Pittsburgh's in. Um, denied getting to see Herbert in the playoffs. I did see a little of that going around because it does feel like, all right, we got Roethlisberger throwing wet garbage up and down the field for a playoff game. Is that really what we want to see? Um, but you know what? Good for Roethlisberger. You know, just the swan song. I still am convinced he's going to report that his reports of retirement are inaccurate. Um, and then he's going to self-report back to camp at some point. There has to be some sort of great odds boost on that somewhere. So if we were to rank the playoff teams in the AFC, let's just focus on the AFC because I'm going to get to film on some of the other stuff. And I just feel like there's two teams that are clearly above everybody else. And the NFC doesn't mean it's going to work out that way. So the playoff seeding for the AFC is Tennessee as the one and the bye. Kansas City two, Buffalo three, Cincy four, Vegas five. New England is six. Pittsburgh is seven. Colts are out. May have heard that. I would rank the AFC teams this way. Kansas City one, Buffalo two, Cincy three, Tennessee four, New England five, Vegas six, and Pittsburgh seven. I think that's the right list. Now people are going to be like, are you kidding me? Look at Tennessee. Look what they had to deal with. No Henry for nine weeks. Accurate. 91 different players. An NFL record in 2021. Accurate. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Henry. It feels like this has been kind of this bait and switch where, oh, you know, he could come back. Maybe this thing. I know Vrabel afterwards said he hadn't taken a snap with the starting offense yet. So I am, um, I'm open to the idea of him still coming back and, and being a really impactful guy because, uh, you know, physically and he's still young enough and all that kind of stuff. I just, despite Tennessee winning 12 and five games, I don't think they're better than a bunch of these other teams. I just, I just don't think that they are. And I don't even really think that that's debatable other than probably Tennessee fans that don't want to hear it. Let's look at point differential. In the AFC, Tennessee was sixth in point differential at plus 65. So the one seed is behind five other teams in point differential. That's hard to do. I went through the last 20 years of one seeds out of the AFC and looked at their point differential. The average point differential of the last 20 years for one seeds in the AFC is plus 158, just a little over, right? Plus 158. It's almost 100 points better on average than what Tennessee was this season. There's only one team in 20 years that's had a lower point differential as the one seed of the AFC. One team, only one team. Your Super Bowl champion, 2015 Denver Broncos. I know every argument against what I just said. No Henry, no A.J. Brown, Julio, the whole deal. They won 12 games. It's remarkable if they'd had everybody. Maybe they're they're 15-2. and two. Shut up, Rosillo. Totally get it. And maybe you're right. But I don't think I'm wrong. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. 
Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver Round Trip, One Way Out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for, are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television. Because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. The regular season is behind us. But we have Jonathan Vilma with us, like we do throughout the entire season. Fox Sports, a bunch I want to get to, but let's just start with what everybody was hot on last night, and that's Vegas and L.A. overtime, maybe a tie, the timeout, where now that, as I talked about it in the open, I think I have it kind of figured out. What was your take on everything that happened in that last drive? It, my take was you, you unfortunately don't give Staley the benefit of the doubt because of him uh, overusing analytics not just in this game and other games. So I can understand why fans started to start to kind of think, well, what is he doing? Why is he calling this timeout? You know, I get why he called the timeout. You want to put your best run defender out there. But the fact is, one, your run defense is terrible anyway, uh, statistically third worst in the league. And two, everyone knows and sees this big guy running onto the field. So if I'm Gus Bradley and uh, Bisaccio on the other side, or excuse me, Greg Olson, OC on the other side, I'm going to say, okay, I see this big guy running in. He wants to stop the run. So I'm going to call a different type of run play. And that's exactly what happened. They line up in shotgun before the timeout. They come back under center, run a play. And then naturally, what did Jacobs do? Bounce outside, bounce outside, and he gets the yards. It was actually a great run by Jacobs, which is, is kind of lost yeah. in all this because it looked like they actually had him. Um, I know there was some debate about Murray out versus Linval Joseph in, but yeah. they had done it previously. Um, and, you know, I think looking at some of the recaps of the game, the people that were really locked into it were like, hey, Murray actually kind of struggled, and that's something they were going to do. Um, I, I think it's just kind of one of those things where, of all the different things I thought about last night, Vilma, I'm going, all right, well, did. Like, let's never underestimate wanting to win a football game, which in last right. night's case was was a very different feeling. It's it's something we're not really ever used to dealing with um, in this scenario, both teams tying. So I kind of felt like even if Staley got it wrong, they don't get the tackle, they kick the field, all the things that didn't work out for the Chargers, it just felt like a lot of assumptions of going, well, what could Staley possibly know? Like, he couldn't know what the Raiders strategy was because they were trying to move the football because they well, needed to. It, you know what I mean? Like there's just how could we assume anything other than Staley looking at a setup going, all right, I don't really like this because at that point him running the clock down, which is not something we're used to seeing. It really now looking at it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter him letting the clock run down. It, right. So it, it didn't matter letting him run the clock down, but <clears throat> it's also as simple as call a different defense, call a different play call, right? It, instead of, trying to bring your guy in and everyone's going to now see that you bring your guy in. Look, you can run a corner blitz. We all knew it was going to be a run, right? We, or a high probability of it being a run start blitzing guys. Right. So 
we would do, we used to have, uh, you know, this little, it was like, we called it a wildcat blitz. Both corners would just blitz off the edge. Um, if we knew it was like an obvious, obvious run play, right? Situationally, it's an obvious run play. Or, you know, back then teams were running the wildcat a lot, something like that. So I'm looking at the situation and saying, all right, it's an obvious run again, right? Uh, the situation is telling me that it's an obvious run. The formation says it's very similar to what they just did on second down. So just call a corner blitz. And if you trust one of your linebackers or somebody to check out of it, if they see something, then let them check out of it. But, you know, to call the timeout, you know, that's kind of like, you know, high school stuff, to be honest. Like, all right, I'm going to bring in this big guy. Well, everybody in the stadium sees you bring in this big guy. And don't you think that Olsen is going, the OC for the Raiders is going to adjust and say, all right, last time you did this, this is what happened. So this time I'm going to do this, right? It's, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. Okay, so we we've spent some time on that on this podcast. Um, you had you had the Browns game, and you know going up to the final week, and really the, the Browns season was we know this is a massive disappointment. We know that the roster was talented. We know that Baker was hurt, but also now you're left with this Bur- Baker situation. We were like, okay, well, how much is it him? How much is it injuries? It's probably a little bit of both. Um, did you get any sense of of kind of the limbo that the franchise feels like they're in as they figure out what they're going to do with that position? I mean, I, I'm sure they could just say, hey, let's give them another shot. They already picked up the option. But I don't know if that's going to go over well. I don't know if that's their approach. What did you pick up kind of being around a team that clearly did not meet their own yeah. expectations? Uh, one very, very disappointed team. Uh, when I interviewed the coaches, interviewed the players, uh, the answers were... I shouldn't say unusual. Um, they were expected short, you know, curt answers is, you know, really direct, very disappointed. So I think that you have a team that saw how good they can be in 2020. They were expecting a lot of success and they didn't have it. And then you start to kind of break down why they didn't have the success and naturally it flows back to the quarterback position. But well, again, talking to the players and the coaches, they love this guy. They love Mayfield. They think Mayfield has that, uh, that you know, shtick to him, that little, that little uh, kind of dog in him that you love from your quarterback. Like I had Drew Brees, and Drew Brees was a bit of an asshole, and I loved it. And so they like that he's one of those types of guys. Now, and, and they say, everyone said he's a great teammate. Now, that being said, he throws 13 picks, right? He threw like 10 picks in the past six weeks of football. It was just ugly, ugly football. <clears throat> His last game, he got sacked nine times. It was bad. The balls were batted down five times. It was just ugly. And I can't tell you, to me, you have two schools of thought. One is you assess him when he was healthy and you say, we went to the playoffs. We won a playoff game. This is how good we can be. And you say, can he take us to the promised land? Uh, maybe, maybe not, right? You know, a little more experience and all that jazz, protect him a little bit more and he's healthy, maybe he can. You have the other school of thought where you say, well, if we're looking at our team and we're saying, where do we need the most improvement? Naturally, you're going to look at the quarterback position. The run game is there, pro bowler and Chubb. You're both your guards are pro bowlers. Your defense has one of the best players in Miles Garrett, Davian Clowney played well. Denzel Ward's a pro bowler. So you have a lot of these other components 
And you're saying, well, if we just improve here, and I say here at that quarterback spot, we just improve a little bit, then we can get past winning just one game in the playoffs. We can win multiple. The thing is, who are you going to bring in? Right. Who who is that guy that you're saying, oh, my God, hands down is better. And we know we're going to go get him. Yeah, that's the, that's the part of it. Like, you don't know. I mean, if something presents itself or one of the studs decides he wants to go to Cleveland. But, you know, this yeah. is going to be a very competitive quarterback market with veterans maybe pushing it a little bit more, whether it's Rodgers, whether it's Wilson, the Watson element of all this stuff. Like, there's just a lot of unknown. And even with Cleveland's talented roster, I'm just not sure if Cleveland – I don't think Russell Wilson's going to want to go there. I don't know if Rodgers would. Um, and Deshaun doesn't seem like a fit there either. Um, by the way, just being around Garrett and seeing it live – yeah, I mean, everybody knows how insane this guy is at defensive end, but give me anything that happened with you, you know, prepping for it or watching him, like how special you think he is. Anything surprised you about him? You know, uh, what I was surprised about was how well he can move. He on a on a lesser scale. And I don't want to take I don't want people to take this out of context. He reminds me of LeBron James as far as his athleticism. Right. So LeBron James is the most athletic player we've ever seen. You can argue there's some other players that are more skilled than LeBron, but just as a pure athlete, God's gift to basketball, God's gift to athletics, period. <clears throat> Miles Garrett is very, very close to that. Well, and in the football sense where he's like six, 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 seven, whatever he is, 270 pounds. He's as fast as any defensive end out there in the game right now. He's as strong as any defensive end in the game right now. He can bend. And when I mean bend, usually you get those kind of a wiry, slimmer defensive ends because they can turn the corner. They're really smooth. And he can do that as well. So imagine you're a, a left tackle and you're going up against a guy that can bull rush you. He can run you right over. He can run right by you. He can run underneath you. And if he gets mad enough, he's frankly unblockable for the day. Right. And if you just look at the progression in his career, every time you're like, okay, this guy has hit his peak, he goes and sets another mark, right? Breaking the sacks record for Cleveland. His stuffs are there, his run stops are there. Like everything, the most pressures, everything just keeps getting better and better and better every time. So, you know, I, I'm just in awe, right? Sitting back looking as a fan and saying, I'm witnessing probably one of the best defensive ends for this generation. Yeah, I don't think you're off on that at all. I mean, he has moments where he came down, you know, he's lined up left side facing right defensive end on the defensive alignment. And that one play where he gets inside of what feels like three people trying to stop him. Yeah. And he still collapses his side of the pocket. I mean, the pocket never really was able to establish itself because guys are just scurrying all over the place. Uh, before I get to some of the other stuff and maybe where Garrett fits into the defensive player of the year conversation, uh, especially with Watt and the sack record, which... um some people would argue he should have it by himself uh, with a sack that was taken away. The Colts, they're 16 and a half point favorites against Jacksonville. They got smoked. Like this wasn't some weird, hey, how the hell is this game close? All right, we lost it. Like from the kick, they were all over the place. Uh, they lost to the Raiders, so they lose their last two games of the season after feeling like, hey, you know who's actually decent? The Colts have turned things around. Have you ever had a situation where you were closing the season with something on the line and you came out that flat? No. And that I immediately, when I saw the score, I was watching the score 
like on a TV timeout and I look over and see the score. And I immediately thought coaches, leaders are to blame. It starts at the top because as a coach, you have to first make sure your team is mentally prepared, especially down in this stretch, mentally prepared to play the game. So mentally is X's and O's, et cetera. Then another component of being mentally ready is the emotional part, right? So the, you have to make sure that they're mentally into it up for this game and understanding the task at hand. So I look directly at the coaches because Sean Payton always did a great job of having us mentally slash emotionally ready to play those types of games. And you even see it now with the Saints playing quarterback number four. They're going up against the Bucks. They are mentally, emotionally ready to get, ready to go. And then the physical part, right? The, the physicality of a week 18 being physically ready to play, that comes on the coaching. And then that falls on the leaders as well. Because at, at this point, there is no scheme. There's no play call that Jacksonville hasn't seen or you haven't seen as a division opponent against them. Right. So it's like really coach, just call what you think is the best call. And then as players, we're going to physically make it work because you can call whatever defense you want. If I don't get off my block as a linebacker, if I don't get off my block as a defensive tackle, it doesn't matter what you call. He's going to run through my gap anyway, because I'm not getting off blocks. So that's what I'm talking about being physically ready. Same thing with the run game. Right. If you're just all of a sudden letting your guy get inside the block and now Taylor can't get open or can't get loose for a hundred and some yards. That's just, that's not coaching. That's the players. The players need to step up and be accountable for all the other players. So, you know, that's from nothing else, not knowing what happened during the week, not really seeing the game. All I can tell you is when you have an opportunity to win and get yourself into the playoffs, the coach and the leaders are supposed to make sure that team is physically emotionally, men mentally ready to play, and they were not. The AFC, um, you know, it feels like with the NFC and Green Bay and then them getting all their guys back, too, on top of everything else. So for Green Bay to go on this run with Rodgers, and now it's like, hey, three of their best players are coming back. Um, I'm, I'm uncertain about the Rams. I'm uncertain about the Cardinals. You know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty there, but it feels like there's one clear favorite. And we put Tampa Bay in, in that top group too, I think, which is as long as they don't have to play the Saints, which is now a certainty now that the Saints are in the playoffs. Um, on the AFC side of thing, Tennessee is statistically one of the worst one seeds we've had uh, ever. And really? when I, why, why, what, what stats are saying they're the worst? Point differential, offensive ranks, Quarterback, granted, without his weapons, kind of a different guy. I don't know. I mean, why do you, do you all right? Do you think Tennessee is good? Or because I've even said, yeah. even though I went through it, I said, to be fair, when you're missing that many guys and they played with an NFL record 91 different players this year, uh, we could be looking at a completely different version of this team in two weeks with Henry back on top of everything else. So, like, I have an open mind of all of it, but I would just put, all right, let me do that. Where would you put Tennessee among the AFC teams? Like, do you think they're the best? I I would put them. I would I would put them top three. Think uh, watching Kansas City play. Well, first, just to go back to uh, being. I know you said statistically one of the worst one seeds we've seen. I, I look at their brand of football, and that that's where I'm going with first. That's why I asked you why, because their brand of football has never changed 
for the past two years. Forget just this season. It's they they know they are. We're going to run the football. We're going to rely on our defense. There'll be a lot of close, ugly games, and we're a okay with that. And we'll ask Tannehill to make I don't know four nice throws a game, maybe five or six if our defense is struggling a little bit. But that's who we are. So that that's what I was just thinking about their brand of football when you said statistically. But going back to where I would rank them, I would say top three right now. And it's only because I see Kansas City, uh, it, they've gotten hot. I've seen the Bengals, they've gotten hot, right? And during the year, everything's fluid, right? If we were talking about this four weeks ago, five weeks ago, we'd be saying the Patriots are one of the hottest teams. The Colts are one of the hottest teams. So right now they've been steady Eddie, Mr. Consistent the whole time. And then you have a couple teams that are hot. So we'll see what happens in those first couple of weeks before Tennessee has to play after the bye. Are you off in New England? No, I'm not off on New England. Uh, they, New England is a team that is still trying to find their way. And what I mean by that is it was funny when they were, they were really hot. Defense was playing lights out. And remember when they beat Buffalo up at Buffalo Pass the ball, I think, like three times that game or something like that. And all the headlines would read, Mac Jones wins his fifth straight. And I was like, Mac Jones didn't win his fifth straight. It was the defense and the special teams. Like, that, the run game, that's who won the ball game for him. But uh, I say that to say they had always, I should say, glossed over the fact that there's a rookie quarterback at the helm for the Patriots. And it's not that he's bad. It's that he's a rookie. And you can only ask rookies to do so much at that quarterback position. And when you start playing better teams, as they're about to get into in the playoffs, your rookie quarterback is going to have to now play like a veteran, right? Because if you start going matchup for matchup, you're going to say, well, who are they playing? I don't even know who they're playing in the first round. Buffalo, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you go matchup for matchup. You could say defenses are... Uh, equal, or you can even go break it down. Uh, cornerbacks are equal. Uh, linebackers, you may give the edge to Patriots. D line, you could say it's equal. Uh, run game, you give a slight edge to the Patriots. I shouldn't say slight edge. You give an edge to the Patriots. Then you just go down pit, position position. But when you go quarterback to quarterback, there's an obvious advantage. Buffalo, right? And so when I look at Buffalo, it's uh, excuse me, the Patriots. I'm not down on them. I just know that every game that they play, if they beat Buffalo, every game after that, they're going to have a decided disadvantage at the quarterback position. And that's just really hard to overcome three times, four times if you win the Super Bowl. That's really, really hard to overcome if you're the Patriots. In your own backyard, um, what do you think of the decision that I think surprised a lot of us here? Brian Flores out as head coach of the Dolphins. Yeah, man, I was I was really surprised and I wanted to look into it more before before we got on. One thing I have been hearing and I hate going off of, you know, kind of third person, but it's been kind of growing consensus is that the, there was uh, um, the relationship between him and Tua and some of the coaches was a little frayed and. You know, if you're the head coach and you start to lose that trust among your quarterback and some other coaches, I can see why they would make that decision. Uh, but at the same time, it's hard for me to say that the 
the relationship was so terrible when they ripped off seven in a row, right? And then you, you lose seven in a row where you could have easily lost your team, which most teams would have gone the other way. Instead, they fight back and they win seven in a row. And I, and I look at that and say, well, going back to what I talked about for the Colts, you had a coach that was getting his team physically, emotionally, mentally ready to play. They ripped off seven in a row. And I know that some of those games, they play backup quarterbacks, et cetera, and all that stuff. So I, I get that and I understand that. But it's the NFL. They, they don't sit there and, uh, you know, request who they want to play at quarterback that week. It, it's whoever lines up and they go and do what they handle their business, do what they need to do. So that one I definitely want to look into more, but I was definitely surprised uh, at the firing. Yeah, I believe the disconnect with the two a part of it. It, it has to be the only thing. And yeah. if you're going to tell the owner that this guy that you invested in pick fifth overall like isn't the guy, um, which I still think we're that's open to debate at this point. Yeah, I mean, man, Jerry's still out. For yeah, sure. absolutely. And yeah. You know, despite the start and then winning all those games, as I'd mentioned previously, and I think just last week on the podcast, the opposing quarterback, resume that they went up against when they put together those winning those wins yeah. you're yeah, like all right i mean that's i don't know yeah. that would have to be one of the all-time worst opposing collection <laughs> of quarterbacks that a team could face but when you when you pick a guy fifth the quarterback wins the quarterback wins in the beginning right in the beginning it's like okay we'll figure out somebody else to make sure that we didn't invest the wrong but i still would wonder if the watson thing is open um, but there has to have been some massive disconnect where they're like, look, we just can't continue to move forward because it felt like Flores um, was one of the brighter young coaches in the league. And Man, it's super I, disappointing. Dude, I, I went and watched a couple of his practices, uh, interview with him. And like you, I was like, this guy is on the up and up. Uh, really thought he was going to break kind of that, you know, ugly cycle for Belichick disciples. Um, and thought he was going to really turn it around. And, you know, just going on Tua for a second, I it, I, kind of, I find it a little strange. If the reason is only Tua, if it's strictly Tua, I find it kind of strange just because your eyes aren't lying to you. My eyes aren't lying to me. Dolphins fans' lie, eyes aren't lying to them. You don't know if this is your guy, Tua. It, it, everything that we've seen says... He could be the guy. He has some spurts where he's kind of good. Then there's other times where you look and you're like, uh, I don't know. This was a number five pick. Mm, I don't know if we can build around this guy, right? So if I'm Ross, I, I feel like they're maybe, and again, I don't know if they did or tried or, or what have you, but I would have loved to have seen at least a, hey, everyone get in the room and hash this thing out before I have to start making some really tough decisions. Maybe that happened already. Maybe it didn't. I would have liked to have seen if it didn't happen, see that happen, because I would have said to both of them, if I'm Ross, frankly, neither of you two are setting the world on fire right now, right? Like you both have potential, but neither of you are like, oh my God, oh so great. We just gotta keep you. I want to do some end of the year stuff um, that I, I know I hit you up on there. So part of it was maybe seeing seeing uh, Garrett up close, but I, I don't know. Who would be your defensive player of the year? Ooh, good one. Good one. Um, my defensive player of the year is going to go to Garrett. Uh, Garrett plays the run very, very well. 
Uh, I've seen offenses, <clears throat> and again, watching recently, but I've seen offenses try to slide protect, chip him, uh, bring an extra lineman over there, extra tight end to stay in and block. And he didn't just beat them. He dominated them when that happened. Uh, I saw Diggs get beat a lot. He had a lot of interceptions, but I did see him get beat a lot. I saw Aaron Donald, who his biggest issue was going to be himself. And that's because he's so gifted and so talented. He needs like uh, inner motivation all the time. And it, uh, let me be very clear on what I'm saying. He is the one of the most dominant defensive tackles. And he has a drive and a motor and is, at, frankly, art when you watch it. It's beautiful. But there are also times where if he gets a little tired, there's no one to, to give him motivation. There's, there's no player on that defense that say, hey, come on, Aaron, come on, man. We, let, let's go. Let's go. We got you. We need you because it's his show. So, you know, I saw times where there was – uh, not as much motivation from him. And he's a driven guy, but just not as much motivation as far as playing. Uh, there were spurts when I saw that. And, you know, the couple other guys that I, I would have well, played. TJ Watt. TJ Watt, yeah. You know, the, the thing with TJ Watt, I like him. Uh, he's obviously a very good pass rusher. I don't believe he's as dominant as a run deep defender um, as Garrett is. I think Garrett is uh, much more dominant as a run defender, just watching on film, watching the, watching the guys. But look, if they give it to someone other than Garrett, if they give it to one of the three guys I mentioned, you know, no one's going to be crying wolf over it. It's going to be okay. Okay. Was there a staff that jumped out at you of a game you did this season where you go, I love this staff? Uh, interestingly, the Colts. I love that staff. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was, they, I, I called three of their games and the staff was always upbeat. Uh, they had a very clear game plan. Uh, it was, you know, very direct. The, the message that they were delivering to the team, to the players uh, of how they had to win each game, I thought was very good. Uh, you know, that that's what actually made it even more surprising. As much as I ripped on the Colts and, and not getting ready for Jacksonville, they have a good coaching staff. <laughs> they have some really good guys there. You know, just for context, Kevin Mawai is the assistant O-line coach. I played with Kevin. He's a Hall of Famer. And we're on the sideline talking, and I can see in this guy's eyes, if he can put on pads right now and put on a helmet and get after it, he would, right? And so I know that that's trickling down to the Nelsons, Quentin Nelsons of the world that they have. So that coaching staff, I thought was really good. I I'm just shocked at what happened yesterday. So maybe Garrett's still your answer. I don't know if it's a different answer here, though. But if you could, all right, you get 11 guys and it's your first pick on defense. You have to build your defense around this player. Is it Garrett then? No, it's going to be Donald. Yeah, see, I knew with Vilma, you were always going to like switch it up on us. Um, but that's, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to push back because you just picked Aaron Donald. So that's fine. Uh, let's see. Was there a quarterback that you felt a certain way about where you're like, okay, whether you loved him or you didn't like him, that after you did the pre-production stuff, did the game, was around him for a while, that completely flipped you this season? Hmm. That's a good one. Carson Wentz. I keep going on the Colts a lot, but I was around Carson, and I frankly thought he was soft. I, I, I thought he was charming soft. 
you know, just looking at the, those last uh, few games over in Philly. And so I was around him and I was like, oh, this soft little, you know, motherfucker over here. I'm not, <laughs> let me just ask him some questions and kind of move on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, asking questions and uh, the best thing was being in front of him, right? We got to be in these meetings in person. So his body language was that of a leader. Uh, he reminded me, I go to Drew Brees, Chad Pennington also. They had this demeanor about him, this aura about him that I, that I was like, okay, I can see why guys would gravitate towards him. Um, and then his answers, his answers were direct. They were to the point. Um, he was very, very assertive when not just answering our questions, but when referencing some of his players, uh, offensive line, how he wanted to see his offense go. So I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. I can see why Frank Wright wanted to trade for him and bring him on board. Uh, and then, frankly, he didn't have a bad season. He, he played well. It's just so funny, these answers. Just poorly timed Colts accolades, despite the fact that you know, they, they <laughs> yeah, felt know, pretty right? good. They felt pretty good up until like 14 days ago. <laughs> this um, is crazy. Last one. I, and then I want to ask you about college ball here real quickly. Was there anything else, though, along the lines of Wentz? Was there anything else that totally surprised you? What totally surprised me, I'll give you one game that totally surprised me. If I were to bet a million dollars, I would be a million dollars broker. And I know that's not a word, but I've been yeah. so broke after this game. I was calling the Eagles at Lions game midseason. And I just called the Eagles, excuse me, yeah, the Eagles at Raiders game the week before that. And the Eagles got pummeled. The Raiders just gave them the business. And I was like, oh, my goodness. This is going to be a long season for the Eagles. And so <clears throat> I just watched, you know, the last two games already. I watched the Raiders film and then, you know, I'm watching the Lions. And at that time, the Lions lost, obviously, but they had some close games. Uh, they, I think, lost on like a 60-yard field goal by the Ravens. And uh, Minnesota kicked, kicked one to win that game as well. So I go and watch their practice. Practice was great. Um, <clears throat> spoke with Dan Campbell. He was awesome. Golf was uh, really good as well. And everything about that team said, we're ready. Like, we're ready to finally get our first victory. Uh, they were into it. And so I left that, that production meeting thinking, all right, this might be the, the game. They get their first victory. And, you know, Philadelphia, the fans are ripping on them. Media is ripping on them. Uh, to Sirianni's credit, he was, he was pretty good. He handled everything well. And then Jalen Hurts was, uh, he was, he was uh, a little annoyed, you could tell. He was a little annoyed. <clears throat> and, oh, by the way, they had just lost Miles Sanders as well, So who I think is a really good running back. So I'm like, all right, here it is. We're going to have ourselves a great game. It's going to come down to wire. Detroit's going to find a way to win this one. So we go into the game and, you know, pregame, we're hyping it up. We're ready to go. And when I tell you Philadelphia beat the living shit out of Detroit that day, I was like, oh, my God, what just happened? Like, they just went down, marched down, touchdown, oh, three and out, marched down again, touchdown, three and out. Next thing we know, it's like 30 to nothing at halftime. And I'm like, what did I just witness? I was like, how could I be so far off? What happened from Saturday 5 p.m. to Sunday 1 p.m. where the Lions just completely wet the bed 
and Eagles just went on a freaking tear after that. So, you know, that that just reminded me that as smart as I think I am and even having played some football for a little bit, I still don't know how these games are going to plan out. National title games tonight. Bama Georgia is going to be the fifth time teams have met twice in the same season with both meetings being AP top five matchups. The loser of the first game has gone on to win the rematch all four times. Uh, I gave out Georgia last week. I feel like an absolute idiot doing it. I kind of want to change. <laughs> I kind of want to change my. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I'm, I feel like I'm choking right now. I feel like Georgia. <coughs> Excuse me. Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, this is a comedy routine. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, oh. all right. There we go. I was I was just choking a little bit. You know, I just kind of felt like Georgia there. <laughs> so forgive me. Forgive me. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> I'm, I'm feeling better now. I'm not I'm not choking. So. Anything you got to say, I'm going with Bama because I already know what it feels like to be Georgia. <laughs> There's nothing else you want to add to that. Why are you so dismissive of Georgia? Because this is not about the better matchup of the players and talent and all the other crap. It's do you want it? That, that, there's no, nothing else out there. Listen. You came in, Georgia. <clears throat> Every time I say Georgia, I feel like I'm going to choke again. Every time. So, Georgia, you came in as the best defense or one of the best defenses of all time, all, literally all time. And you go and get just ran out of the stadium by Alabama. You said you're going to do this in the run game. You're going to do that on your defense, blah, 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 all this crap. And you get handled. And you got handled. Every time the past five times, are you kidding me? I'm not going to sit here and talk about matchups. Either you want it, Georgia, (coughs) excuse me, either you want it or you don't. Bama wants it. That's it. Wait, I figured out what this is. This is you and all the Canes from 20 years ago pissed about Georgia being talked about. I can't believe I asked you because it's straight up. Look, I don't care what the stats are for Georgia. Their secondary isn't even close to as talented as what you guys had there. What you had was the most talented defense I I believe we'll ever see that I've ever seen. But I think there's some prideful stuff about some of the comparisons that were thrown around this season. That's what's happening. I actually quite the opposite, Ryan. I swear I was watching this team and every time I watched George, I was like, I, this is a damn good defense. I would love, can't wait to see them go against Bama. I promise you. I was like, I love watching greatness. So I was like, this is going to be, this is the time. SEC right. champ, both of them destined. And it was supposed to be a beat down of Bama and all this other crap. And they choked, man. They wet the bed. I don't care what anybody tells me. Don't tell me about scheme. Show up, period. Show up. All right. Good stuff from Vilma. Um, I, I kind of, you know, the Bama part is really hard to get past. I don't know why I'm picking Georgia in the rematch. And I feel like I'm going to be kicking myself later on tonight for doing so. Ah, I, I, I think that. They are going to come out like, you know, way more emotional and excited and all that stuff. But you mentioned it. The secondary, they, they've been riding the coattails of the D-line all, totally. all yeah. season long. But as soon as someone had a little time to throw and you have a quarterback and some receivers that know what they're doing, it was like, ooh, wake-up call. They got handled. So, yeah, I, I got Bama, bro. And you know what? To be honest, if Georgia wins this game, which they won't, but if they do – 
it wouldn't tell me much because if they played four times, it'd probably be split 2-2 if they, if they win this game. Hey, man, this has been great this season. I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your time and getting to know you, obviously, over the years. So glad we're able to make this work out. We'll keep in touch, all right? We'll have you on again soon. Sounds good, bro. Take it easy. Later, Steve. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking, and they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. I want to do just a couple minutes on Clay Thompson's return. That was a big deal um, as far as the coverage and all that stuff. And I, I would say maybe even some people were a little annoyed. Ironically enough, I was at Clay's last game. Historic, right? Surudy, are you jealous of that? Uh, you know he's my favorite player in the league. So yeah, of course I'm jealous. Big night last night. The, I don't think I've screamed as loudly in a while as I did when he threw that dunk down. Yeah, he hit the layup, then he missed a few shots, and he threw that dunk down in traffic that was nasty. And then somebody asked Steve Kerr after the fact, like, did that surprise you? I've said this for a long time. I think we are really bad about injuries for a couple different reasons. One, we think that when a guy is kind of dinged up and then he comes back and plays, we're like, oh, my gosh, do you see him limping earlier in the second quarter? I'm like, yeah, sometimes you get hit, and then it hurts, and you limp for a little bit, and then you get enough blood flow, and loosen back up and you have trainers working on it and you get back into the game. So sometimes I think the heroic part of it is like, I can't believe this. Look at this guy coming back out there. In some cases, it's definitely true. Uh, I'm not dismissive of all of it, but I don't know that we give the athlete enough credit for their own toughness and ability to recover because most of us, I mean, I woke up this morning to turn off my alarm and my hip went out of joint and I was like, am I not going to be able to walk today? And that was turning my alarm off. All right. And by the way, update, I'm good. I can walk. Um, Tough guy. Nice. Right. But built Clay, different. Yeah, built different. Hip pointer, couldn't walk across <laughs> my bedroom and then was ready to go 15 minutes later. So the other, like, hey, were you surprised Clay could dunk? You guys realize that Clay didn't, that wasn't the first time he's touched a basketball in two years. Like Clay probably, especially with how precautionary everybody is, he probably could have played a month ago. But they just weren't going to rush it. The fact that he's the only things in basketball that he has to worry about. He has to about, worry about real basketball game time condition can't be simulated. And then like anybody who's ever played, when you don't play for a long time, little stupid stuff is just off. Your touch around the rim, little handle, things would be a little loose. It takes you a few games. It gets, gets it tightened back up again. Unless you take a ton of time off. But he's been working out the entire time. And so when Kerr's like, yeah, I don't know. I saw it in scrimmages. Like, what did people think Clay was going to come back? Like, he comes back, gets blocked by the rim, misses a layup. <laughs> You know, throws it out of bounds to the right. You know, so it's just 
he's been playing. He's been working. There's these progressions. We're talking about some of the best physical therapists in the world at this level working with somebody, um, unless it's one franchise that I'm not going to name. But you get the point. So anyway, Clay comes back, and they need him. All right? They need him because all the talk about Golden State's record, they were 18-2 and two at one point. Depends on what you think the high water mark was. Um, you know, 29 and nine going into last night. They'd lost three of five, so they win that one. They're at 30 wins. They're the one seed. But if you look at their offense, and this was kind of back to the irrelevant argument that I was making all the time, which I was surprised there was any pushback to it whatsoever, was that when, you know, Wiggins is your second best offensive player, that's not really the profile of a team that win an NBA championship. But it doesn't matter because Clay's coming back anyway. So even though I liked Phoenix better than Golden State prior to Clay returning, even though Golden State, I think, got him two out of three times. So again, it could have been wrong about that. It was just a simple, like, yeah, I don't know. Without Clay, I don't think this is a title-winning team. But it doesn't matter. Clay's back. You know what? And they're getting Wiseman back, too, although he's not exactly the difference maker that Clay is. Why do they need him back? Because look at, let's look at some numbers here. Um, defensively, Golden State's still number one overall. Offensively, they're 10th overall. Wait, what? Yeah, I'm telling you. Uh, their defense is so good right now. They're two points better going into last night's game per 100 possessions than the Phoenix Suns. But if you go from the start of the season in October up to the first week of December, Golden State's offense was actually ranked number three after that point, right? So from 12-8 on, December 8th on, going into last night, Golden State's offense was 25th. Well, that actually makes a little bit more sense than this team without play with an improved pool, uh, an improved Gary Payton Jr. Um, Juan Toscano-Anderson has been nice after losing his spot in the rotation. Porter Jr., Iguodal, all this different stuff. It didn't really make sense that that was going to be the third best offense in the NBA. Maybe you believe it. I don't. And the numbers are playing out that way. So um, my other favorite stat is I was going through everything because basically Golden State's seventh from three-point attempts. They're fourth in percentage of makes. Oklahoma City, this has nothing to do with anything. I just love the stat. Oklahoma City takes 37 threes a game. They make 31% of them. That's last in the league. That is hilarious because it's like a young team bunch of young players that all grew up with everybody having a green light everywhere from no matter where you are and they're just like yeah we're taking almost 40 of these a game even though we're only making 31 percent doesn't mean anything i'm thrilled clay is back if you were annoyed by the coverage of all the guys that we fight about and argue and their personalities and some of the guys i'm just over in general clay is not one of those guys he is one of the good guys and even though it felt like it was a lot of coverage and a lot of buildup um, I'm just happy for a guy that loves basketball. So I look at it that way and, and get past it because yes, I was there when he blew out his knee and I have the amazing distinction of being and two in the building for golden state warriors games during their peak, which is, I don't know, impossible. I'm never getting invited back. Obviously. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. We had a lot of follow-up to a lot of things. Um, I mean, this could be a separate spin-off podcast, just the forum of, of the life advice. And I just, I didn't want to turn it into a mailbag. Um, but every now and then we get, we, we had, all right, first of all, before we get, I'm not going to read any of the spanking reaction videos because Hey, shocker. A lot of people listen to this podcast and we disagree about things. Um, 
There's also some dudes got really weird with it. So, you know, I'm not shocked. I'm not going to. Yeah. No, that was that was actually expected. So we're not. If you send in a weird fucking follow up spanking email, we're not getting to do it today. All right. I think we can all accept that. A lot of people were really interested in the military police career, a potential career, the the never realized MP career of, of one Kyle Crichton. Um, but a lot of people did say it was going to be an awful gig and that your whole thing about like it would be cool to see the world that not a, it was all bullshit and that you're going to get absolutely taken by some recruiter yeah um yeah so freak my girlfriend better. out freak my parents out it did a great job doing that got a lot of love yous and hugs and i think maybe that's what i wanted the whole time so that's okay we had a lot of people reacting to jail or war um this is the best email that we got i've been to both <laughs> <laughs> send me back to war over jail nice and he also said that he was shocked that kyle wanted to be a blue falcon mp grunt life kyle it's the way that's me um oh this guy this guy had sent oh this was the guy that fought he he fought like a a random ufc guy that was like okay and the ufc guy beat him up pretty good or I don't know. He just worked him. So, all right. That guy, that guy's covered a lot of different stuff. He covered jail. He covered war. He covered fighting UFC guys. So shit, we should have him, should book him next. Get him on. Next, yeah. Yeah. Next Thursday. So Close dude, season. what's going on? All-star break. <laughs> yeah, we'll do him. We'll do him MLB all-star week. We'll do a how to fix baseball 10 parter. You know, what? one of my favorite reactions to the whole Staley timeout thing was there was a baseball writer that said, if going into this game, there were potential for a tie for both teams to get in, then baseball, everybody would have, the GMs would have just said, hey, let's tie, which I is a good joke. It's a good line. And then he goes, that's why baseball's in a lockout. And we're like, okay, now <laughs> I, I, I love the first part. Second part is wrong. There's a bunch of other reasons, not just because there would have been a purposeful pretend baseball tie. There's also some revenue stuff going on as well. Um, and why that we're going to have a lockout. We also have a lockout because there's no deadline as of right now um, to get this fixed. All right. This is a good one, I think. I don't know. Hey, question for you. I have a tendency, and by the way, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. That's the email is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Question for you. A tendency to leave the bar or party to go watch sports. I have no problem doing it when it's one of my teams. And most of the time, I just won't go out until my teams are done playing. The bigger problem is I do it for random games. Case in point, last Thursday, I dipped out to go to a nearby sports bar to go watch the end of the Celts Knicks. Even though I have zero allegiance to either team, the problem is I just graduated and moved to a new city, so definitely very much in post-college trying to make new friends in a new city phase. My buddies in college were on the same page as me, but it's kind of tough to tell new people that I got to leave to go catch a random NBA game. Obviously, it's even worse for girls. Try telling a girl, yeah, I got to go. Fournier's going off right now, but can I get mm-hmm. your number? Good line. You're funny, dude. You can start using that stuff yeah. a little bit more. I went to school in Nashville where it's pretty easy to hop to another bar or floor. By the way, maybe the easiest of the major cities to be like, do you want to go to a different bar? And then you're inside of it 10 seconds later. Um, or catch the end of the game, then be back before too many people notice. It's a lot harder to do this in my new city. And with COVID, it's even harder to bar hop quickly. Basically, I need some advice on coming up with different excuses to use for why I left. My go-to excuses, uh, I let that night get away from me and needed to go. So this guy, wait, is he lying about being drunker than he actually is so that he can go watch a Knicks game? Hmm. 
Um, but I definitely need some better reasons. Obviously, I'd ideally just grow up and ignore the games, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Figured may have some experience. Uh, yeah, I, I, this was, if I argue, you could argue I still do this. I left an unbelievable beach party with a bunch of um, current and retired athletes. It was an awesome setup. And I knew I had to duck out because college football was starting. And it wasn't even like the real Saturday. It was week zero shit, which I don't even know why I did it. But I was so amped for it. And I didn't tell anyone. Like, I only, like, I was pretending to have more beers. I kept saying I was good every time people asked me. Um, our team got knocked out of the competition. I didn't really know who my partner was. I think he was blacked out anyway. And then we grabbed some tacos. And I felt awful because these guys invited me to this really cool thing and I went and left and then people were like oh did he have a good time and I'm like actually I don't know that we even remember him being there and it was like no no and then somebody was like hey were you cool was everything cool and then you have to explain it um and it was a mistake I should not have done that I think it maybe even a planted a bad seed while I moved out here but I don't know I had to see Miami Virginia Tech had to uh, again, it felt like it was Miami, but I'm not sure if it was Virginia Tech. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is this. Stop doing it. All right. If you actually are, as you said, new city, tougher to make friends. It's a weird thing to do, man. I remember when I first got my Celtics gig and I was at a Christmas party and I think it was like 2003 and it was all my college buddies. It's this incredible party that all these guys threw in Boston every year. And I stood in the corner by myself and watched a Celtics Trailblazers game. All right. That's sad. And I, I felt out. like, I, yeah, I felt like I needed to. I felt like I had to do it. Now, my excuse is a lot better than your excuse, right? I was working for the Celtics television, not the, the team, uh, or working for the Celtics radio station at the time. Um, but, I mean, we could sit here and say you're Spider-Man, right? I mean, you could you could come up with some excuses here, but I would tell you it's it's kind of a bad habit because most people that don't get it are like this, what's this fucking guy's deal? He thinks he's better than me. Um, people don't like it at parties. Girls hate it. I used to leave if there was a game that was close and it was across the street and we were like in the couple's you know, booth all hanging out. I, I'd leave. I mean, I can't believe I didn't get dumped more often. I would leave and go back to my apartment and then meet him back out. I was like, hey, I had to see those last five minutes. Um, no one likes it. So we could sit here and come up with a bunch of excuses I would just say you gotta you gotta kind of pick and choose. And if this is what you're gonna do, then don't go out. And then the nights that you do go out, focus on making it about the night and not some game in the corner of your eye. I mean, if you're gambling, then I get it. Then it's it's there's no way you're gonna not watch the game and all this different stuff. Um, it also could be because I'll admit this is me a little bit too. Back in the West Hartford days, when I was just you know by myself quite a bit. I would go, all right, is there a game that I can justify watching and then go sit at a restaurant bar or a bar area that serves food and then be like, okay, this is cool. I never cared about eating by myself. If I, I would starve to death if I cared about eating by myself. Um, but I would coordinate it with a game so it felt like I was kind of doing something. So I'll tell you from personal experience, sometimes the game is a shield to your own kind of antisocial behavior. And that's a thing you got to dig a little bit deeper on. Um, but I would tell you it's a bad, bad habit to get into. I wish I didn't do it, but the job has gone okay. So I guess I could justify it. Kyle? So he's at places that don't have, he's at like bars that don't have TVs and he's leaving to go to a bar that does have TVs. That's basically what he's saying here. 
Yeah, which is even worse. Yeah. But again, I've done that too. I mean, I was at a wedding once, girlfriend, pretty serious, and I left and went to the reception bar before the reception started and watched the final four and had like 10 cores lights with the bartenders. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't that sound bad to me. It sounds bad yeah. that you left something, but... I had a fucking blast. Yeah. It's one of the best weddings I've ever been to. But of course, like typical me, I, I befriended the bartenders, didn't dance once, and well, would that have changed the if there was a game on or not? I don't I don't see you out there on the dance floor either way. No, I was about a hundred quarters light shy of that. But I <laughs> I you know, I had a blast. And then by the time, you know, she came over and was like, Do you you know, the other part of the reception was over there? And at that point I was like, I kinda wanna go out tonight, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we did we did a popping at the reception and then we went out and, you know, uh the rest is history. So yeah, Go I know ahead. for a fact that girls definitely don't don't like that. And as a guy who uh, doesn't talk about sports for a living, um, I just I can't convince her that I do. I, I mean, I, the first when I first met her, I was like, I'm going to have to see these. I'm going to have to watch these football games. Um, but, you know, now she knows. So but basically, like, you, you're going to have to come up with like your teams and that's going to have to be enough for you when you have girl and like with girls around. Like, it's got to be your teams that matter. Like, it's, it's got to be a couple games a week. It can't be all the games all the time. So I agree with you couple things um one can he just pull out his phone like i don't i don't i don't know why yeah get the stuff you know, get wouldn't the that services. be yeah get youtube tv or whatever sling whatever thing you have and you could just kind of watch it on the go if it's a close game then you can keep tabs on it if not then you don't even have to watch it so then you don't really have to like make a move anywhere get into radio um, maybe sports radio like your fucking secret service and just 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 toggle between all the games yeah I feel like, what's the deal with that guy he's sketchy as hell um <laughs> But I remember my <laughs> freshman year of college, I did not, I skipped out the on the entire spring weekend to watch the 2007 NFL draft. And that was like, it was three wow. days. And, you, you know, That's at low. the time I was like, oh, I'm awesome. Like, this is sick. Like, I'm super into this. And I look back like a few years later, and I'm just like, that was the dumbest thing. I missed out on all this fucking cool shit during the day. There's like free drinks, blow up tents everywhere, free t-shirts are being handed out. I'm sitting there watching like Patrick Willis get drafted by the 49ers. And I was like, That's a that was a low for me. So I think, you know, pick and choose your spots. That's probably not it. Like if you don't have to want rock, watch like round three while you're out at the bar of an NFL draft or like a Knicks game, if they're down 20, pick and choose your spots. And I think the other thing too is sometimes maybe the excuses are worse. Like if you're like, hey, I have to go home because I'm like too drunk. And you keep saying that over and over again, people are gonna be like, this guy's kind of a disaster. And if you just say, hey, I don't want to watch this game. I don't think anybody's going to judge you as much as, as, as the former. Yeah, I actually found that part of it kind of fascinating that you're rounding up how drunk you are to get out of something when you're actually not that drunk so you can go watch a game that you admittedly have no rooting interest in. Um, that'd be because your buddies must be like, man, he's you can never tell when he's drunk. He really holds it together. Uh he knows when to dip, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's just he's just bouncing all the time. So we're not gonna give you excuses. Uh we're not gonna tell you, hey, do this to keep getting away with it. We're gonna tell you to start prioritizing it a little bit better because you're right, Sir Rudy. I have and I can sit there and say, well, wait, there was something going on because it was your career. So all three of us have more of a justification for doing it. But there are so many times where I felt like, oh, no, I have to do this or I have to do that. You know, there's a couple of weddings that I wish I had gone to. And I didn't. Wow, must so be nice. go, well, <laughs> again, Kyle, we know your wedding, your wedding history. You weren't allowed to go to bills. So I understand it's just sort of a. a Is that ageist? Is there a lawsuit there? If I if I think statute of limitations, but I think that's ageism, isn't it? Uh, it if you say it out loud, I don't know. I don't know. 
lawyers. Probably some people would be, Let me love know. to be on your side on this one. Let me know. Okay. Uh, we also had another follow-up email where uh, the guy chimed in about living together. He said the case for not moving in together before marriage. And I was like, ah, here we go. But I just want to share this because this has been brought up before because I brought it up with divorce rates years ago. And, and I remember, I know what this data is, but we're going to share it with everybody else. In the re- well, most recent pod you guys were talking about, uh, it's a no-brainer to cohabit. Uh, while I completely understand the rationale behind cohabitation, there's actually a solid case not to do so as well. Contrary to what most people believe, research does not show a correlation between cohabitation and reduced divorce rate or between cohabitation and improved quality of marriage. In fact, historical cohabitation was associated with a higher divorce rate. And today, the existence of a higher divorce rate is uh, the subject of debate. Yeah, because I've seen a bunch of, I've had stats thrown at me from both sides on this one. So I kind of after I see enough data that comes to no real conclusion, kind of like resting, um, I just go, all right, I'm not quite sure. So now there seems to be both correlation and causation going on here. The correlation is likely the couples that cohabit tend to live less traditional views, uh, to have less traditional views. Mm -hmm. Basically, the point is this. If you agree to live together before you're married, then that's less traditional. So therefore, you might be, because of your less traditional values, be more willing to divorce. Mm Um, okay. Whereas if you will not live together until you are married, you are more traditional. So therefore you still frown up divorce. I mean, man, one of the worst things you could ever fucking do to people in this country. Uh, and then this is more of a, I don't know if it's a religious thing in certain sectors it is, but the idea that like, no suffer through a horrible marriage for decades because of being judged. I mean, think about that. Like that was an accepted thing in some circles. It still is. Yeah. Like, nope. Hey, this person's be, be a psycho. Miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I, this person's a psycho. Not what I signed up for. Didn't realize this person's terrible. You took a vow. No, I filled out some fucking paperwork and we had a party, you know? Like, yeah. I was in my early 20s. This, <laughs> yeah. Now this person sucks. We've both grown. We've grown apart. Nope. Stay together. We don't <laughs> like each other. There's nothing valuable about their sensation. Well, sorry. Tradition says. So I would think here's all I'm telling you. You never know the person as well as you're going to know them until you live with them. Totally. All right. So I'm not going to debate this with anybody. And I do think that there are ways to twist these a little bit. Again, your numbers. We appreciate you sharing that with us. That's great. I don't believe any of it. Sorry. That stat couldn't have showed all the people that didn't get married after they lived together. All the people that were like, no way that like Great broke call. the lease. And, uh, you know, somebody's got like weird credit because uh, somebody just left and didn't pay X amount of months or something. It doesn't show all of that. Right. I mean, it just I don't know. I think there's two ways people move into each other. Just like there's like two ways, two ways, multiple ways people have kids. There's like the oh, shit, we've got kids coming or it's like, you know, we've got an account set up and there's a thousand dollars that'll mature for 40. You know what I mean? Like. I think there's just multiple ways people move in together. It's like to it's personal preference. I mean, listen, if you don't if you don't want to move in with them, they don't like I don't care. It's fine. I personally would like to have that sort of lived experience. It's like when like I don't understand when parents don't find out like the gender of their baby. Right. I don't I'm not talking about doing a gender reveal because that's ridiculous. But like I want to know if it's a boy or a girl as early as possible. I don't want to be surprised at birth. If you don't feel that way, that's fine. Like you want to be surprised. That's cool. I just think it's way more logical to be like, the sooner I know, the better. Yeah. And it's the same thing for living with somebody. The sooner I know the deal with you, the better. And then we can kind of figure out where we want to go. 
I just want the emailer to also understand too. He's clearly very smart and he took some time on this with linking stuff, the inertia effect. I've looked at all of this stuff before and I mean, his last sentence, because I don't want him to think that we didn't read the full email. He said, finally, one may not, uh, one may decide not to cohabit from a values perspective. Part of the idea of marriage, of taking vows to one another, is the commitment which separates it out from any non-marital relationship. Waiting until after marriage to move in is a value statement that the marital relationship is fundamentally different and that the act of living together is inherently tied up to the commitments entered into during the marriage ceremony. If you cohabit before marriage, then what tangibly distinguishes the relationship pre and post marriage? I don't know that you get half my shit if it doesn't work out. Big time. Uh, I would say that's another part of this too. Look, I get your lane here. I respect your lane. I completely disagree with it. Uh, the one time where it was close and it was like, hey, I wouldn't actually get engaged to you until we lived together. I was like, well, then guess what? That's not happening. It's not happening. I don't give a fuck who it is. All right. Pick anyone to pick, pick your favorite ever. I'm serious about this. The girl of your dreams, if she knocked on my door tomorrow and said, I want to marry you, but we're not living together first. I'd be like, no way. Like, are you kidding? The Celts Knicks are on. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this this one's any good. I don't, this life advice episode on the whole. I feel like we need something to really juice it up here at the end. Oh, here's a gym question. That'll do it. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, finish it out on this one. What's up, Ryan? 29-58-170. Single guy who moved from the... Oh, moved to the big island of... Hawaii eight months ago and I moved from the suburbs of Chicago about an hour south of Chicago I came here to work for the United States Postal Service which is not a bad gig at all government work so government work plus the Hawaiian lifestyle very laid back setting I'm starting to get really fucking bored and I miss my friends and family. <laughs> pension though that pension though I got a cousin who's a postal worker great pension the weather is unreal here. I literally just got off the phone with a friend and the wind chill uh, is feels like negative 10 out back from where I'm from. So I definitely do not miss those awful winters. Chicago winters are tough, man. Very, very tough. Uh, I thought I was cold in Vermont. I remember being out a couple times in Montreal in the winter thinking I was cold. Um, there was a New Year's Eve where I was in Chicago where it was so cold I was laughing. My eyes froze from the walk to the hotel to the Equinox across Michigan Avenue. I was outside for less than 60 seconds. and Froze open or closed? was. No, I just had, I had like little ice particles oh, in okay. my eyelids. Right. And I, because I didn't have to go that much further, I just started dying laughing, going, this is the worst. <laughs> you go a little bit Never. insane. <laughs> Yeah, I was cold once like that walking back from town back to campus when yeah. I was in college, like up the hill, off the lake, wind whipping the wrong way. Negative and I remember something. kind of being, yeah, and I remember, it's, I mean, it's stupid, but I remember like, if I died, it's so cold, at least I won't be cold anymore. <laughs> like, this is so bad. But that Chicago, seriously crossing a street, I cannot emphasize. Honestly, if Chicago had like a decent winter, I can't even imagine what the property would be in that city because that city's amazing every other thing about it the people are great the summers are great no ocean kind of is a deal breaker for me but um the the, the winners there are that bad all right and the reason i emphasize all of this is because our guys in a bit of a conundrum 
So he doesn't miss that part, but he said, uh, I'm starting to lose it. I was wondering, since you're from the East Coast, now that you live in California, if you had any advice, or should I stay or move back home? Essentially, I'll be moving back home to trade shitty weather to hang out with my friends and family rather than awesome weather and kind of lonely, and I have no problem being alone. I'm just getting bored. Also, side question. I don't know if you already addressed this, but what did you think of that guy from ESPN who was doing impersonations of you? Or he did an impersonation of you. I was wondering if you think he did a good you. He was filling in for you one day years back, and I never heard if you liked it or not. So, Rudy, do you remember that? I don't. No. Guy doing impersonations. Uh, first, first name that comes to mind is Randy Scott. I don't think he does an impersonation of you on your show. My To do my impersonation is not hard at all. Just deep voice and go, oh, well, <laughs> I don't know. Kind of sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not hard to do. It's not hard to do. My uh, mine's just not even the lifting jokes naturally come in there. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you just you would do meathead like an extra scoop. shake. Yeah, you would do an extra <laughs> scoop, scoop of meathead if you're talking about me. All right. So this gets back. I don't know. I don't I don't remember hearing it unless Ad, Adnan wouldn't have done it. I know. No, Adnan no, no. I'm trying to think. It, the People, only guy I could think it would be Randy. I don't know. Yeah, here's how people feel about impressions about themselves. If they like the person doing the impression, they think it's funny. The impression can be really good, but if it's done by somebody who they don't like, then they're going to say the impression sucks. Like, I did an impression of a guy back in Boston once who's an asshole of a human being. And I did it, and, you know, it got back to me that he was like, he was really pissed that you did it. And I was like, I didn't even do anything where I was making fun of the person. I was just kind of doing an impersonation. And it's like, well, he hates you anyway. And I was like, oh, all right, well, there you go. Yeah. That's why I didn't like the impersonation. Like, pocketed that info. Um, so, back to this question here. I can speak from experience, but this is only about me. The loneliness part, you either accept it or it gets worse. You know? I, I don't know. Getting unless you're making real changes in your life to say, okay, I love this weather. I don't want to go back to Chicago, but I'm lonely. Can you change the thing around you? And you, we can all say that, but you actually have to go ahead and start making some lifestyle changes. Like I need to be more proactive in meeting new people and doing these kinds of things that are a normal part of life. I will tell you that I miss my friends a lot. Uh, I moved from Vermont 20 years ago to the week to start this whole thing. I'm thrilled with how it all went. I feel like I was right all along, but I don't know what happened in the last couple of years. And I don't think it's just being in Los Angeles. I don't think it's just being COVID because um, it's weird. I feel like I moved to Los Angeles like two different times because of COVID and everything. And again, for me, it wasn't a huge challenge. So I always want to put that in perspective in that, you know, a lot of people had a lot of worse shit to deal with than I did, but I'm starting to, I don't know, as I get a little bit older and I start missing my friends and thinking about like, maybe would I get a place back East? Would I split time? Would I do any of that kind of stuff? And I think what I'm really doing is deflecting from the probably real problems. I need to do a better job at some of the other stuff instead of always focusing on work all of the time. So I would say for me, it's steering towards getting worse than me just accepting it and being like, Hey, this is who I am. I'm cool being by myself and being okay with it. Um, well, another thing that I've noticed, and this is important, is that you can start to miss your friends because you're not making your own memories. Your friends, if they're married and having kids, and in my case, already married and already have had their kids, they're making their memories in a way where they're not thinking about missing all of their friends. If you're by yourself, you're the one thinking about your friends all the time because you don't have a family. 
you don't have kids. And, you know, I cannot emphasize this enough. When somebody has kids, their day is now a different, like their day isn't even about them. It's about their kids. So their day is definitely not about like, oh, I wonder what Rosillo's doing right now. All right. It's not it. We're trying to get juice boxes open. We're trying to make sure everybody's buckled up in the back. We're trying to get to soccer practice. We're trying to figure out if, you know, somebody lying to us about something, you know, as the kids get a little bit older and all that kind of stuff. So if you are so lonely and missing your friends um, and you're not doing anything about it in Hawaii, despite the amazing setting, if you're not doing anything about it to make it better. Then even though Chicago is cold, you may want to start prioritizing the friendship part of it because it like for a while you can be fine with it. But you start talking a bunch of years and you're still in your same routine and you're bored and you don't have anything to hang out, anybody to hang out with. Like I would be the most fired up about anything is if I were in a city with four of my college roommates being like, what's the plan tonight? Like that would be something where I would get on a plane for right now. But again, we we randomly would do it from time to time. But because I missed that so much and I've had pockets of friends, whether it was in Boston, whether it was Denver, whether it was Chicago, different spots where it's like a bunch of the guys all kind of stayed together because they want to still remain and have these kind of like friend option things. And I never had a problem with it ever. I was just like, whatever, you know, I'll see you guys when I see you. And I know that I, I feel like it, it kind of gets a little bit worse as you maybe have your own void. And again, I'm not trying to get super deep here. But if you don't have something that like the other people have around you, then you start prioritizing their friendship more than they're prioritizing their friendship towards you because they just have bigger shit going on, man. And so if you don't find anything to kind of take up your day other than just your own thoughts and delivering the mail, um, you're going to be fucking bored no matter how great the weather is because you're not doing anything with anyone else. And it sounds like you care enough about people. Maybe you're wired socially a certain way that you want to have other, which most people want to be like, we are a social creature. And I, I, um, I don't know. I, I would, the way you're, you're explaining yourself in this email, I almost think leaning back towards going back home would probably be something that would be, it would, you know, set you up to be happier as you get a little bit older. If you haven't figured out a way to add to what you're doing in Hawaii right now. I would say sit in bars, man. I think that's the best. Drink a Kona. Just sit in bars. Drink a Kona. Well, go to different ones. You don't have to, like, it doesn't have to be in a sad way. I wish there was more stuff that I like doing as much as I like sitting in bars that I like. I really do wish that there was more stuff. And, and hopefully one day I'll find that thing. But uh, I just, that's that's how uh, I ended up making a lot of friends when I first came here. And and a lot of them, I, they were just bar friends and I didn't hang out with them outside. But some of them I do. And uh, some of them I still see to this day. And they're, some of them are the reason that I'm actually going to Frolic Room now. Shout out to Dark Room. Thank you, guys. So I just think, like, you know, do, spend, like, two, two hours of a happy hour at a bar. And then if you like it do, it, do it another time or check another one out. Like, I don't know. Unless you actually hate drinking, it's a great way to spend your time. And people are more loosened up. And, like, you know, if you're sitting in a coffee shop and there's somebody sitting next to you for 40 minutes... They're, they're probably not going to be like, what's your story, pal? Or say something about something that's going on or a TV. But in a bar, people are just more open to doing that. So, you know, th that way you're not desperate, but, you know, you're in an environment where people are kind of already opened up to being social. And, you know, drink it's fun, unless you think it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Is there I, any... I, hold on, hold on, sorry. Is there any part of you, Kyle, that like, would think that a lot of people wouldn't want to meet their lifetime friends day drinking in a bar? 
where they would they would drink and then they'd be like, we need to start making plans together regularly. I don't see why that's a problem. Yeah, I, I think you're just so easygoing that it works for you. I think other people would be, and I mean this as a compliment to you, I think others would be a little more reserved about you know, well, to be clear, for life. I, I said happy hour. I didn't say I didn't say 1130 a.m. <laughs> I, I don't think people have Very, the open mind right. that Kyle has about going yeah. to a bar and having a good time, you know, or, at least or meeting other dudes in that way. Most dudes go to the bar to meet girls. Right. Kyle is just there to have to just, you know, vibe and have a good time, put some 50 cent on and, and, and enjoy and enjoy like a Friday afternoon. Like that's I respect the hell out of that. So Kyle, if you put on 50 cent. And you had a couple beers and it's like six o'clock PM. And another guy came up to you and was like, Hey, did you put on this 50 cent? And you were like, yep. And the guy would like high five you. And you guys started sharing 50 cent stories, similar age. Like, Oh, I remember this. Oh, do you remember that? That'd be crazy. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, let's sit down. Let's have a couple beers. Like you would exchange phone numbers with that guy and then follow up and be like, Hey, next Thursday, frolic room. No ju jukebox on me. No, it would have to be. I have to see you a couple times, you know, uh, okay, that's it. That's it. It's a couple times okay. thing. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever done like a, oh, yeah. Do you want to maybe awkwardly do a phone number thing? No, I don't think I've ever done that day one. Okay. All right. I'm just, I'm not even judging. I'm just trying to understand it because the first scenario for me would be like, never. Because I'm happy having the good time and then just completely walking away. I'm fine if I never fucking see you again. I'll I'll walk home. I believe I'll, that. I'll I'll like <laughs> shuffle home uh, down Hollywood Boulevard and then the sunset being happy about the time I just had and then go back to my life and hop on Madden and, and whatever. Like, I'm happy with that. That's that's four hours well spent. And, you know, now it's dark and, uh, you know, I can watch some some new episodes of Boba Fett that's coming out or something. And then I'll sleep and then the time has passed and then I get to work and then I get to fill the time some other way tomorrow. It's just a great way to spend a day. It doesn't have to be making meaningful connections. And you spend your time like that three, four times and you see a guy there. Maybe he's your friend. Maybe not. But either way, you're you're passing the time. And that's what that's what he's probably he was probably passing his time doing nothing when he wrote this email. So if you're but you still have time, a core group, Kyle, you have a you have a core group there, right? Of people that are like go to guys to go out. This guy does not have that. He is trying to find that. So like when you meet a one off guy at a bar and like you have a good conversation about whatever and you can go home, it's fine because you have other dudes that you consistently go. Yeah, a lot of them, hang a out lot of them are on the he west does not side. Have this. A lot of my core guys are like on the west side and they don't want to come to me and I don't want to come to them because I don't like. But they're not in Hawaii is the point. They're still in L.A. <laughs> and, and no, I, I say I say this because I actually think I have good perspective on this. Um. When we went to Hawaii, my wife and I, for our honeymoon, we were like asking like all the people, you know, worked with the resorts, the bartenders, be like, dude, is it like sick to live here? It was the first time we'd ever been. And we're like, it must be awesome to live here. Like, this is so freaking cool. It's beautiful. The weather's awesome. Everyone's so nice. And I was, we were kind of surprised by the vibe of the people who, you know, were from wherever and had moved there to, you know, work for whatever thing. They were like, yeah, it's okay. But the problem is meeting friends is hard because a lot of people come in here for a couple of years and then they leave because they get homesick or whatever. So it's actually kind of hard to make friends in Hawaii because it's such a transient type place. So I just want to make this guy aware, like not only is it did you move to a new place, but you moved to a new place that probably has as transient of a of a vibe as any place you could possibly move to. So it's probably harder to meet, make friends in Hawaii, long term friends than maybe any other place there is in the States. OK, Alaska. but I would I would push back. Yeah, Alaska. 
good. But nobody's leaving crowd. Alaska though. They're probably the people that are in Alaska are probably staying there for a while, right? I mean, they're they're probably born and bred. The people that there's people that come in, come and go from Hawaii, working seasonal jobs, doing things like there's not a consistent crew, is what I'm saying. Okay, but I would even push back on that a little bit. Like, sorry, Hawaii people, that you like. What's the terms of the? Fr- like this is I look at it as a car lease, except for the people that I met before I turned 20. Like I'd have a hard time believing that maybe at this point in my life, although I guess there's a couple of people that I've become close with a little bit later on, which is pretty rare. But I don't live near any of those people um, just because Hawaii guy has doesn't have a friend for the next 20 years. Like I'm not going to feel bad for that guy. I think it gets back to how hilarious it is now that this this there's a lane for how to talk to dudes for dudes. <laughs> you know, how to pick up guys that you want to be friends with. Like there's something I can offer nothing. I have I have nothing for you. Okay. Because I'm yeah, not going to return text frequently. Right. Yeah. Just I'm not, sketch yourself. Yeah. Right. I I am not your person for this, but there is there's there's something there for someone that wants to do this and that's better at it than I am about guys becoming friends with other guys. Uh I still think the Gaia app idea is mm. there's potential there um that's trademarked no it isn't i don't really care all right i think we covered a lot of stuff i would say but... one thing i would say one thing oh because, yes Kyle, please because save this pod. because you work for usps and you can move anywhere and you keep that pension right you're a federal employee not a state employee there's there probably go. a job for you anywhere if you mm. if you are thinking about home and it's because family and you know maybe you're overblowing the winners probably not because you're in chicago but you could also just fucking move too like don't like if you if you want to move for more than I don't have enough friends to hang out with, like be to be honest with yourself. Do you miss more about it? Do you miss knowing where everything is? Do you miss being comfortable about X, Y, and Z? Do you miss being able to stop over your uncle's house or your mom's house or whatever, you know, once a month or whatever? Does it kill you that you have to take a massive flight back and you know everything has to be meticulously planned out? If if so, if if that really does bother you, maybe you should move. But if it's just because of raw friends, materials, I move. yeah, raw materials <laughs> take longer. Yeah, Here, here's. Here's why people live from where they're from, okay? Now, I love what our guy did here. But what he did is is there just aren't as many people as they would like to think that are like, hey, I'm fine. I'm leaving it all in my rear view, and I'm going to Hawaii, and I'm going to deliver the mail, and it's going to be fucking awesome, all right? The reason you did it, and it's a little bit more challenging, is why so many other people stayed home. And I'm not even talking about Hawaii and talking about Chicago. I'm talking about most of us that grew up in certain areas where there's still so many people that are still connected to it because it's easier to just do that. And there actually are benefits having a family, having kids and having other people around that can help you all and stuff. Like I look at it and go, actually, I can see why you live there because it actually makes a ton of sense. You're getting a ton of help and you're not sitting there feeling like you have no assistance whatsoever and raising kids and all that stuff. So what our guy did is is admirable. Most people wouldn't go ahead and do that. But the reason most people don't go ahead and do it is that now you can go through this phase unless you are putting a flag down to the new place you move and going, I'm starting a new life. I'm meeting a bunch of people. I'm going to be super proactive about this. I'm going to get married. I'm going to start on my family. You're like, there are guys that are wired that way that make it such a priority. It's the same thing as like, what kind of career do you want? Do you want to work out? Are you putting the same thoughts and the same amount of time? Are you putting resources into making these decisions that set you up to have friends and have a family so you don't feel like you're by yourself all the time? Some people can do that, all right? Um, but like when I look back to different places in the East Coast that I could potentially you know, spend more time in, I'm glad I left. I know what I did. Most people wouldn't have done, but I also understand now why all those guys stayed. Because as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, okay, actually, this makes a little bit more sense. And you guys still all do stuff and hang out and you you have your own lives, but you're all together in one place. 
where the reason why the guy from the town just to go live in the middle of nowhere by himself is that it's that much fucking harder. So anyway, I think we covered that one from every fucking angle possible. <laughs> this podcast went. I can't believe how long this one was today. <laughs> I, I, I woke up with a plan today. And so anyway. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you Wednesday. Thank you, as always, for subscribing to the Ryan Russell podcast on your Spotify. Thanks to Kyle and Steve. We'll talk to you Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.